Hi, I'm Maeve Doyle, and you're listening to A Private View. We are on site at Maddox Gallery on Barclay Street, and the show is called Supernatural, and I'm here with Neil Campbell Strachan. Hi, Neil. Hi, Maeve. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. I'm happy you're here. I'm glad you came in from Scotland for the opening. That was great. We're in front of one of your canvases, and all I want to ask you is, uh, who are you and what do you do? Well, my name is Neil Campbell Strachan. I'm a visual artist from the Highlands of Scotland. Um, I've been painting professionally for probably six years, and this is my first time showing in London. Now, last time we talked, there was a great story you told about Richard Prince's studio assistant and your musical career, because you are a bit of a polymath. You do both with yeah. equal passion and vigor. Yes, so um, so originally I actually got a degree in audio engineering. So I was a musician, I was like touring the world, touring America and whatnot. But then I always had the inclination that I just wanted to make art, make paintings and actually like live from that. And then I went to New York 2015 and my friend Tom used to be Richard Prince's assistant and I did some work with him and he just said, just do this. Don't do the music, do the art. So I just came back to Scotland and just kind of uh, made work every day since, to be honest. And your work deals with issues that are quite, they're very prevalent in the world now about humanity and the way we treat animals. And I know that you're led a lot by animal, animal activism. Yeah, yeah. so, uh, so we, have, we have dogs. I've kind of had uh, animals my whole life. And I kind of use the kind of the in from like the animals to actually kind of project feelings I think about the world. So it's kind of like um, you can soak in the painting for just, um, they're just animals, but also I think there's a lot more going on. You can actually see what's actually happening in the world. And the the painting we're standing in front is a survivalism. And that kind of deals with death and kind of overcoming adversity and kind of springing back to life. To describe this painting, it would look energetic, childlike to a certain extent. We've talked about uh, iconic tribalism, bright colors, bold brushstrokes, but what you're saying is quite strong. So there's a little bit of a twist with what you do. It looks happy and childlike, but in fact, the message is strong and, and serious. Yes, it's almost like you can get you can get sucked in, and if it's if it's the kind of aesthetic that you like, it appeals to you. But actually, the more you look, the more you actually start to see. All right, there's a bit more going on than just an animal standing there, and even the kind of position of the head and the there's a tongue coming out. It's kind of metallic tongue, kind of almost like a kind of dagger. And then you've got the black snake and the the skulls on the ground. So I don't know. To me, the mouth's kind of referencing like Guernica with the the horse, and then you've got the the skulls kind of pulling in a bit Andy Warhol's kind of skull series. So, so I just try to stick in some art history, some stuff I'm feeling about the world, and hopefully in a kind of palatable art object. What are you feeling about the world? I think the world is a wonderful place, and I'm so happy to be existing right now. That's sarcasm, if no one's picking that up. <laughs> I think the world is, is fascinating and amazing, and also horrifying. So you're, you're either living in like this amazing kind of anything's possible fantasy or you're living in a horror film at the moment, I think. 
maybe at the same time. Referencing Guernica is quite strong. Oh, I think that, that painting is so prescient and it's almost like it will never, the way the kind of the war machine in the world works, that, that painting is never kind of going to go out of vogue. It's always going to just mean something to every, every generation, I think. Uh, your work in the relationship to music, because you still play in a band, don't you? Well, I do. Um, I do still write songs and I kind of like working on music, but um, just as I kind of like taking the pressure off the painting, so it's a, it's a good outlet, and I kind of find that it kind of comes from the same, the same kind of place. In terms of rhythm and composition and narrative and beats per minute and the yeah. kind of a metronome of the way you paint. Yeah. So like I, when I'm going to the studio, I'll have music on in the car on the way to the studio, it's in the countryside. And like you say, I, I get in a rhythm, then take that into the studio and then keep that rhythm going for the six hours. And, um, and generally, the way that I attack paintings is the same with music, so I like the variety. I don't want to keep repeating and I like to explore. So like a song could be five minutes, could be one minute, could have swearing, could not, you know, so this kind of, and the same with the paintings, I actually want to kind of explore more kind of maybe like text-based paintings as well, so. You definitely can see the energy and the rhythm in your painting. I, I remember writing something about your work and, and I, uh, I'm aware that you start with kind of abstract expressionism and getting all the energy and, and uh, emotion onto the canvas before you start working on the surface, which is introducing the animals and a different narrative. Can you go over how you arrived at that method of work? So I think just uh, trial and error and essentially um, like I've been in my studio maybe five and a half years and during the uh, lockdown, I could still access the studio. So I had maybe that almost two years of just experimenting and really kind of refining my process and going like, okay, this, this works kind of starting with the abstraction and then building over the kind of figuration. So that, yeah, this kind of arrived over a period of months uh, during the pandemic really. What was your early life like? And uh, when did you realize you wanted to be an artist or a creative? Let's say. Um, early life, so only child, right. kind of raised with two dogs. So like raised by wolves. Um, and uh, nice. yeah, <laughs> and I used to draw all the time. And I think I mentioned before, I used to kind of draw kind of like stuff from like cartoons and whatnot, and then kind of sell them in school as well. That's wild. So weirdly. What were you selling them for? Like, oh, just like a few pounds. That's like probably, probably enough to buy a lunch or something at school. Yeah, um, yeah, but then I kind of like... kids must have loved it. Yeah, yeah, they have like Mickey Mouse and all that up on their walls and stuff. And um, But then I kind of, for some reason, you kind of, you get older and then you just kind of like, I don't know, you think it's not an option really. Well, you to, start to become self-critical too. Yeah, yeah, and then I think people around you as well, like where I'm from, maybe it's Scotland in general, but people are really like, just they keep you in check. Right. So if you're kind of like, have lofty ambitions, it's like, calm down. Yeah. Nobody from around here gets to exhibit in London or New York, you know. But luckily, I'm kind of very stubborn. I'm like, well, I'm going to do it. <laughs> if you're not, I'm doing it. How did the world around you receive your confidence? React to it? Yeah, like I think, I think a lot of people, they kind of this, they maybe think, thought it was maybe like misplaced or whatnot. But I was like, I, I know what I'm doing. I'm on, I'm on the path. And, and like I said, I you know, spoke to my friends in New York, and I was like, you might not see it, but I. I know where I'm trying to get to. And then once you start to get there, people are like, I always knew you would. And you're like, you didn't say that at the start, did you? It's like, you know, you could have bought a painting right at the start and helped, but 
It's fine. I know you know a lot about art history from our, com our previous conversations, and I remember you saying that you wanted to avoid the trappings that sometimes comes along with talent, which are uh, addiction or anger or rage, and, and you committed to marathon running as a way of working your demons out in a healthy way. Can yeah. you talk a little bit about that? Well, I think it's like, especially kind of reading up from like male artists from like, say, you know, 50s, 60s, like Cobra movement and the abstract expressionism. Um, yeah. And I just, I just kind of think that you've maybe got this kind of energy that actually needs to really go into making pieces. And if it doesn't go in there, I think it has to be some kind of positive physical activity, because if you don't do that and then you're maybe just like drinking or whatnot, I think a lot of inner stuff just comes out negatively. So yeah, I, I just like run, I've ran every day for like the past like four years or something and uh, marathons and looking to do like ultra stuff and... Just to go over that, so I think I heard you just say that when you're dealing with subconscious issues, if you're not careful of how you're treating your body, it can come out in a harmful way? Yeah, I think, I think like the energy this gets like, misplaced and, and certainly the way that I tackle art is very physical. So the canvas is on the ground and you've, you've got spatulas and you're, kinda, you're almost doing like yoga and doing all this stretching. And so you kind of, for me, I just want to be like... So you paint on the floor? Yeah. Right, so it is very physical and, and the reference to Pollock isn't wrong. No, it's not wrong at all. Um, that, that kind of approach, but without the bad mental side, maybe, you know? So it makes sense of why your canvases are the size they are, because that's probably your physical reach. Yeah, exactly. Like, I, I just love to get, like, the arm right through it, and you can see on this painting, there's a lot of kind of, kind of marks with a spatula, like, uh, scoring through the paint, and, uh, yeah, you just want to kind of let it loose a wee bit, and then, like we said, then you kind of build the kind of, maybe, the, the ornateness and the figuration over that. So I'm guessing when you start a canvas, you don't know where it's going to take you. Not really, and that's, that's the whole joy for me. It's like, if you knew what you were going to do, why would you do it? Well, you know? I mean, there are a lot of artists who work with masking tape, and they plan things out, and they project onto mm -hmm. the canvases, and everything is very scripted, yeah. but you're the opposite of that. I think so. It's like, if I kind of, if I knew how the day was going to go, I don't know if I'd like, want to get out of bed, you know? So it's kind of like, with, with ours, it's like, I'm, I'm as much discovering as, as the viewer. You know, I'm, I'm almost like an, a self-archaeologist. You know, I'm just like digging this stuff up and then it comes out, then I try to make sense of it, show it to other people, everyone's got a different opinion. And that's the kind of joy of making art, I think. It's the mystery of life, isn't mm -hmm. it? Yeah. So what influences you culturally, or what influences culturally, artistically shaped who you are and how you approach your work? I think, uh, yeah, well, a lot of music, like we've touched on. What kind um, of music? Well, this is, this is my favorite band, Dive, from uh, New York, and they're incredible. And when I, when I am kind of like listening to music in the studio, it's always this band, and it's this constant, you know, it's just, it's just the, the rhythms they have in their songs just really lend well to this kind of speed that I work at and whatnot. What was your own band called? Um, so it's called Bronto Skylift, and it was a kind of noise band, two-piece, kind of like the White Stripes, like a drummer and then me playing guitar. And we'd like set up on the floor, like in a gallery and this play to like 100 or 200 people. And what other influences? Uh, other influences, I'm influenced a lot by film actually, and actually reading biographies and, in, and looking at interviews of, uh, of actors and how they approach different mindsets for different films and 
I try to kind of soak that in when I'm doing the painting so that you're not always on the same level of approach in the art, so you've got different approaches, like mentally. So like method acting? Yeah. Like Marlon Brando? Yeah, like reading like all, all that kind of stuff, and then even like film directors about the kind of, just, I think it's kind of maybe thinking of other people's processes, and then kind of relating that to your own process, and, and just kind of trying. Francis Ford Coppola or Martin Scorsese or... Scorsese, definitely. Just watched like, Killers of the Flower Moon. It was incredible. Um, and like Christopher Nolan, like, I think Oppenheimer's just... And he's so clinical and so precise. And I think that's a good thing to try and absorb as well when you're quite chaotic, maybe. <laughs> you know, just to kind of give you like a different kind of flavour. So. Yeah, you have to manage yourself. Yeah. And, then that, and that self-discipline is the only way you get things done. Mm -hmm. yeah. And they're both incredibly disciplined directors. Exactly. Anything else influences you? What artists? Yeah, so many. So like, like Basquiat is like always, always there for me. Robert Nava comes to mind sometimes when I look at your work. Yeah, like early, early Nava, I think kind of when, when he first came out, that was like a real kind of joke, you know, taking that kind of Cobra style from the 50s and kind of pulling that forward. Um, Jordi Kerwick, who's this right in the corner, like love him. And it's like uh, Kathy Bradford, She's in Maine, I think, and uh, Catherine Bernhardt, who does like the big kind of Pink Panther stuff. Yeah, she's great. Yeah, like all that kind of spray paint. And that's, I kind of look at her work and it's kind of like, makes me want to maybe go more kind of messy spray. So I just, yeah, there's so many artists that I just get inspired by. Um, we talked a bit about your studio practice, but is there anything we missed on it? What is, what's essential to the practice? Essential to the practice is, um, it's just that I have space. The studio is quite big, so I can maybe lay out two or three canvases and build up some marks across them. And then at some points, it's actually like you could stretch them and put them up, and it would be you'd think it was a totally different artist. And then gradually, they just all kind of build up. So that's kind of that's very important for me to kind of have the space and the freedom to experiment. To get to know them. Yeah. And where they're leading you. Exactly. So it's an intuitive process. Yeah, and like never, I never question it. You know, there's. There's a lot of layers in this, and there's some paintings that are maybe quite quick and not so layered, but then they're still valid as well. I think you kind of just have that gut feeling when it's like, okay, this is what it is. It's, it's almost like out of your hands. You know, and I think when you try to, you try to influence it too much, and then I think you, just, you lose the spark of the energy of the original statement that was coming out. So, yeah, I don't question it. So in a way, you're channeling creativity from another source yeah. and if you get involved it interrupts the, the flow yeah absolutely and same with writing music you know like a song just seems to like fall out of the sky and then you you can't beat yourself up that it's taken like five minutes to write it it's like if it a happens lifetime. it happens a lifetime of studying exactly yeah 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 it's the whole kind of like Picasso thing isn't it it's like it took me 50 years to like to make that one mark and all that kind of stuff so yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, what's art for? I would say um, art is actually for yourself. I think you're actually making it for yourself, even though people go, oh, making it for the world. I think it's actually for you to, like, to just aid you through this passage of life, and then it goes out in the world, and then it's its own thing. But I think it's actually for, it's for yourself. If you could live with one piece of work, what would you choose, or what piece would you choose, and why? And money can't be the deciding factor. I think probably a sculpture, but it's a, it's a female artist in America. It's like, I'll get this pronunciation wrong, but it's like Huma Bapta, I think. And I, 
she does these amazing big like crazy sculptures and yeah like one of hers would be would be great to have i think she also writes theory and uh, definitely robert nava referenced her in his book and yeah, yeah. another artist we know yuki aruga has talked about her i think she's got a massive influence on a lot yeah. of artists no it's amazing she does a, she does kind of like paintings as well and she she tends to do paintings and then take them into sculpture form which is something I'd love to explore at some point. Thank you, Neil. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Thanks for having me. Cheers. Please come to Supernatural at Maddox Gallery on Barclay Street. The show runs until the 9th of March. You've been listening to Maeve Doyle's Private View. This podcast is produced by Will Fitzpatrick at Soho Radio. The music is by Korshid Homi. Thank you for listening. <laughs>